This is Samuel's final speech to his people um, that he has led as a judge for decades at this point. Uh, Samuel's also the alleged author of this book, which of course goes after his death. So perhaps he's writing this first part. Um, There are details in this book that would only be known to Samuel. Um, So some sort of Samuel authorship is probably Um, makes sense. But this is his final speech. And here he, almost word for word, and I've mentioned this before when we did the speech about the king, where he tells the people, if you get a king, if you appoint a king, or if you elect a king, or whatever you do, um, he's going to take things from you. He's going to take your children and put them in his army. He's going to take your daughters and make them work in the fields. He's going to um, take your grain and your wine and your grapes and your donkeys and your cattle um, and he uses the word lakak, 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 to take, to take, to take, to take. And then here in his final speech, he does the exact same thing. He says, whose donkey did I take? There's that word lakak again. Whose uh, ox have I taken? Who have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Whose hand have I taken a bribe? Um, even though his kids are famous for taking bribes, Samuel's kids, that's why They've come to him and said, we need a king because your kids are terrible. They take bribes and they pervert justice. So Samuel yet has a leg to stand on. He has kept his integrity and he calls out to everybody. This is sort of a Jerry Maguire moment in that scene of the movie where he, um, you know, walks out of the big sports agent office. Who's with me? Who's with me? He says, and like nobody's with him. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't, you know, I built this firm. Um, and, and this is the, 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 the song of the disgruntled employee in many ways. Um, Samuel's been a judge uh, over Israel. He's li- been a leader, disgruntled leader maybe. Um, a president who doesn't win the election or a politician or mayor or whoever it is. Or even um, there's so many other situations where this kind of speech makes sense. But he does have his integrity. And no matter what changes come in our life or what we have to leave or start new, um, we can hold this integrity and say what Samuel said. Um, you know, and it's sort of the bare minimum, I think, to, to his speech is like he shouldn't have been taking their bribes and he shouldn't have been um, perverting justice and he shouldn't have been stealing their donkeys. To sort of defend yourself with the bare minimum is sort of a classic maybe male behavior, I don't know. Um, throw that out there for your thoughts. Um, you know, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't <laughs> kill anybody. <laughs> you know, sort of, that's your defense, okay. Um, but it, it goes a little deeper when this next scene that Barbara read of not just his speech, his outgoing speech, but also his, um, this judgment that falls on their harvest. He says, is this not the day of harvest? The one day you don't want it to rain is the day of harvest. And he calls lightning and thunder on the harvest. Um, The effects of this would have been catastrophic um, in an agrarian society, which we we don't like to think of ourselves as an agrarian society, but we are. We are dependent on farmers who grow stuff for us on our behalf. And the kind of things that happen to the climate that 
affect farmers affect us. Maybe not as directly as this kind of harvest disaster would affect the people in that day, but as we see this, uh, the effects of climate change, this climate crucifixion happening in our world today, we've seen it before here in Texas, we've seen it other places we've lived, but it seems like we're seeing it in a more vivid and profound way. Um, this will affect us. And so the people cry out, don't kill us. I feel they felt like God was trying to kill them through Samuel. Um, this is a, a fear response that makes a lot of sense when you think of what they're facing. And Samuel tells them, this is because you decided to have a king instead of a god. You chose a king over God. Um, you chose a king to protect you over God's protection. And this is the real thorny irony for biblical scholars when it comes to 1 Samuel. On the one hand, 1 Samuel presents the Davidic kingship of David. He's anointed in secret. He, be, he has to become like a freedom fighter um, inside of Saul's house and then outside of Saul's house as he's on the run. And he eventually uh, conquers Jerusalem and, and, and leads to the establishment of the temple there in Jerusalem. So the, the kingship on one level in Samuel is like a really good thing. It's the kingship that Jesus holds. He is a descendant of King David in the lineage of King David, and that's very important for, for Jesus' life and ministry. On the other hand, the impulse that led to the kingship was a terrible one, a one that, it, that Samuel constantly brings up as a lack of faith, a lack of integrity even, a lack of trusting in God. Um, a desperate move on, the, on behalf of the people to uh, get rid of God in some ways, to dethrone what God is, has done for them. Uh, and so this is the, the tension of 1 Samuel, and it's the tension of our lives too. Um, the kind of things we do when we're struggling, when we're fearful, when we're suffering, um, often lead to things that we didn't expect to happen to us, um, or maybe we did. But we are often in our desperation, we grasp a hold of things that end up not giving us what we want in the end. That is sort of the definition of sin, of the missing of the mark, um, looking for love in all the wrong places. That is the human condition. It's the human condition in 1 Samuel. It's the human condition in our lives. And yet, as the people cry out to God and said, we don't want to die over this. We know we kind of messed up. And we shouldn't have called out for a king with such force and violence and vehemence against you, Samuel. And then Samuel says some really beautiful things. He says, you know, yes, you have done evil and you have turned aside from the Lord. You've strayed from the path. That turn aside is the same phrase used for Samuel's children who are, are judges and they're taking bribes and they're perverting justice. They have turned aside They've been wayward. They've gone down the broad path that leads to destruction instead of following the narrow way of holiness. And um, even though the people as a whole have turned aside, um, the Lord still wants them to follow him in their heart. Um, this heart language in the Old Testament is so beautiful to see. That God was always wanting a heart relationship with God's people. God always wanted this from the first pages of Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament. This was the relationship that God was always calling and inviting them into a deeper one. And he said that, and Samuel says to them, um, you can still serve the Lord with all your heart. 
you can still do that, even though you've kind of messed up and started this whole king ball rolling. Once you start a dynasty, um, you can't stop it. You really can't um, because, you know, who, there's going to be relatives that are going to claim the throne. Um, this, you can see this in the history of England. You can see this in the history of any monarchy that um, even if you get rid of the king, even if you kill the king or exile the king, there's always somebody else that's going to claim that throne based on the hereditary kingship. And it's a compelling argument for human minds. And yet God is saying God still wants to be with this people. The people of God in the Old Testament, just like the people of God in the New Testament, you and me, we were picked and chosen, not because we were smart, not because we were righteous, not because we were perfect, not because we were uh, a cut above everybody else, not because we were sophisticated, not because we know which salad fork to use. We were chosen by God because God loved us. We were chosen by God because God wanted to have a relationship with us. And this is the truth that, is, that the people of God are reminded of over and over in the Bible. This causes humility. It should cause some humility in us, that we aren't um, chosen because, um, you know, that we aren't like the, the cream of the crop always. We're not always the smartest, the best, the brightest, the uh, sharpest tool in the shelf. Um, at the same time, it should also cause a great sense of thankfulness and gratitude and openness to God because this is God's initiating a relationship with us, that we are valuable. We are inherently valuable, not because of what we do or because of who we are or anything like that. We are valuable because we have a relationship with God, because we are made in God's image. We are valuable because God loves us and we love God. This is all, this is the value system of the Bible. It contrasts sharply with the value system of the world that we see around us that commodifies humanity. If you can't produce an income, if you can't produce something, then you're not valuable in this society. The, the, the word of the Lord always says you are valuable because of who you are, because of God's relationship with us, not because of something you produce um, or something that you can offer to the rest of the world. Um, so Samuel reminds them that... Um, that he is not just a prophet denouncing their wickedness. He is their priest. This is something he learned in the tabernacle when he learned how to pray. Um, seven times a day do I praise you, the psalmist said. And, uh, Paula read that. The monks of the Middle, Middle Ages used that reference to come up with their seven hours of prayer for the day. Um, and this was a pattern of prayer in the temple. The pattern of prayer that we do in morning and evening prayer in the Anglican communion is the pattern of prayer from the temple of God the tabernacle of God that Samuel prayed in. There's always psalms, always a heavy dose of psalms, because this is the prayer of God's people. Um, we pray it with God. We pray it with Jesus. We pray it with one another. We pray it with our own voice, too. And this is the prayers that Samuel learned. And he says, I never stop praying for you, and I never will stop praying for you. And I think he means that even after he dies. Um, we don't believe that people cease to exist when they die. We believe that they keep praying for us in heaven. Just like you ask your friends here on earth, hey, can you pray for me about this? Um, we can ask people in heaven to do that, and we know that they do. And ultimately, the one person that prays for us the most is Jesus Christ. He prays for us every single day, and he is praying for you today, knowing what you're facing. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're up against. He knows what you, the challenges in your life, and he is praying for you. And maybe even Samuel is going to offer a prayer for us today we can hope.
So he says, be faithful in your heart. Consider the great things he's done for you. And, and know that even though this kingship has started, God can take it away at any time. And that's the story of the Old Testament writ large, um, the, the coming and going of this kingship. So God knows us, God loves us, God knows what we're facing, and Jesus is praying for you today. Amen.